Welcome to Creative Biolabs. 100% of the effort, 100% of the service. As a dynamic contract research organization, we are based in New York and serve the whole world. Our seasoned scientists are skilled in antibody discovery, antibody engineering, and biomanufacturing solutions. When most people get sick and need treatment, oftentimes what we have in mind are taking medications, if more serious, surgeries, chemotherapy, etc. But few of us think about a new field, called gene therapy, or understand how it can be used to treat even some intractable diseases. Today in our program, we invited our researcher Steve to introduce us to gene therapy. Steve and his team have been researching in the field of gene therapy for decades. Thanks for joining us today, Steve. Good evening everyone. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. As far as I know, gene therapy is a relatively innovative treatment method. And with more people understand the role of genes and gene mutations, as well as the development of more effective technologies, for the delivery of DNA into mammalian cells. The United States originally proposed the use of genes as drugs for human therapy, around the 1970s. Now almost 50 years have passed, what's the progress of gene therapy now? Right, so gene therapy is becoming very promising, in treating inherited monogenic disorders, with recessive inheritance. These diseases such as cystic fibrosis, muscular dystrophies, lysosomal storage disorders, hemophilia, you know, just to list a few, are due to single gene defects and then the pathologic phenotype becomes evident, only when both alleles are defective. But patients carrying one normal copy of the gene, that is mutated in the patients are perfectly healthy. So if we can transfer one normal copy of the disease gene to the affected individuals, it is possible to find a cure for the disease. Wow, the emergence of gene therapy really does provide the possibility for the realization of this kind of treatment. But learning from life, we all know that nothing is perfect, there must be shortcomings in gene therapy. Of course, gene therapy is based on the delivery of additional copies of a gene, instead of aiming at the direct correction of the endogenous genetic defects. And so it's impossible, for gene therapies to really solve a disease's genetic problem. The realization of the direct correction of endogenous genetic defects, requires the development of gene targeting technology, based on homologous recombination which is based on exogenous application of genomic DNA fragments carrying mutations, to gene fragments carrying normal sequences. At present, that technology is not mature enough, and can rarely be applied to the treatment of patients. But up until this point, we have been discussing the theoretical application of gene therapy. So let's talk about its effect on clinical treatment. How's that going? Has anyone tried it? Well, I think the progress towards an actual clinical trial is relatively tortuous. In 1980, an American hematologist and geneticist, Martin Klein, secretly conducted the first clinical trial of gene therapy on thalassemia patients, but there was no therapeutic effect. Since this attempt had no solid experimental ground, it was severely criticized scientifically and morally. The first gene therapy trial was official approved in the United States in October 1988, and started in the first months of 1989, at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. Oncologist Steve Rosenberg recovered tumor-infiltrating lymphocytes, from the tumors of five patients with advanced melanoma, genetically labeled them, and re-injected them into the patients. Providers containing tumor-infiltrating lymphocytes were indeed found, in all the treated patients, in both peripheral blood and in tumor biopsies at least two months after infusion 
which prove the property of tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, after ex vivo expansion and manipulation. Then in 1990, Michael Blees and French Anderson, conducted the first therapeutic clinical trial, on two patients with adenosine deaminase deficiency. Adenosine deaminase is also known as ADA. They obtained T lymphocytes from the patient's peripheral blood, and amplified them in the laboratory. Introduced the gene encoding the normal ADA enzyme into cells, and reinfused the treated cells back into the patient's body. Despite the apparent improvement of the clinical conditions of the patients, the real efficacy of this first trial has remained controversial, since patients continue to be treated with the ADA enzyme, in the form of a recombinant protein. So do you think gene therapy is difficult to be clinically applied? Well, no, any new treatment can face difficulties in the beginning, and let's not forget that gene therapy is the only hope for many diseases. And from the history of many studies on new medicines, we know that, an innovative therapy requires a long incubation prior to success. Gene therapy is still a relatively young discipline today, and it has a very promising future. In recent years, gene therapy has made great progress in other fields, especially in the viral vectors based on the adeno-associated virus, which are now generating very encouraging results. In the treatment of labor's congenital amaurosis, an inherited form of blindness, together with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's diseases. Proving the value of gene therapy. We all know that, the effect of each treatment method can be affected by many factors. So, what are some of the factors you think are affecting gene therapy? So some of the main factors I can think of include the choice of the therapeutic gene, administration route, gene delivery system, cell targeting, persistence of the therapeutic gene, expression of the therapeutic gene, an immune response to gene therapy. Can you go into more details on the administration route of gene therapy? Sure. There are generally two ways to administer gene therapy. Based on the isolation of the patient's cells followed by gene transfer in the laboratory, and on the direct delivery of the therapeutic gene into the patients, which are referred to as ex vivo gene therapy and in vivo gene therapy respectively. In ex vivo gene therapy, cells recovered from patients are cultured in a laboratory, and the therapeutic gene is transferred during this time. The cells are eventually reinfused back into the same patients, from who they have been collected. Among the advantages of this approach are the possibility, to expand different cell populations ex vivo, to select the cells in which gene transfer has occurred, and to avoid the possibility of immune response, against the vector that might neutralize gene transfer. But you know, this procedure is significantly more cumbersome, and expensive than in vivo gene transfer, and needs to be personalized for each patient. And in vivo gene therapy, the therapeutic gene is directly administered to the patient. This method is relatively simple to operate, but it is only suitable for specific areas, such as joints, and specific areas of the brain, and it is easy to cause an immune response or lose gene activity. Oh I see. So choosing an appropriate route of administration, is an important factor that can really affect gene therapy. The persistence of therapeutic genes seems to be a more important factor. So how can it be improved? The persistence of therapeutic genes is essentially linked to the characteristics of the nucleic acid. And the delivery system used is indeed one of the highly important parameters that affect how a gene therapy will turn out. When the therapeutic gene is a small regulatory RNA or RNA, such as antisense oligonucleotide, aptamers, ribozymes, siRNAs. We can improve the persistence of therapeutic genes, 
by modifying the phosphate backbone, or ribose sugars of these molecules, and conjugating specific ligands, such as polyethylene glycol, or cholesterol, or association with cationic lipid, or polymer carriers. In the case of viral vectors, we can improve the persistence of the therapeutic gene, by choosing a suitable viral vector. For example, adeno-associated virus vectors to determine permanent transduction. Since transduction with adenoviral vectors is transient. And what about other factors, that are highly important to the effect of gene therapy? Another important one is the gene delivery system, which is probably the most crucial factor, conditioning the success of any gene therapy approach. The hydrophobic plasma membrane of mammalian cells, is a barrier to large polyanions, such as DNA or RNA. Therefore, naked nucleic acids are poorly internalized by the cells with very few exceptions. Physical tools such as electroporation, or high-pressure injection. Chemical tools such as cationic lipid, or polymer. Or biological tools such as viral vectors. Must be used to facilitate gene transfer. I see. So choosing an appropriate gene delivery method, can significantly improve the effect of gene therapy. Thank you very much for providing your insight, Steve. My pleasure.